When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks that a move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 174. Well, just ahead, cannabis companies get high from the White House and low from their actual results. And AMD gives us a glimpse at the near-term future of computing. And shoe retailer, Designer Brands, tells us how the shoe business changed after the pandemic. We're going to talk to CEO Roger Rollins. Fascinating conversation. All that after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever with ERA. Customize your company watch list and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you listen to the show. You subscribe to the show. You clicked that follow button to make sure you catch every show. Why don't you leave a review for the show on iTunes and let the rest of the world know why you like The Drill Down. And the drill down is brought to you by Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to the drill down. We're gonna talk about the business stories behind some stocks that are moving around. Joining me in a stationary fashion, not moving around. Executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, how are you? Always sitting very still. Glad that I think it's it's, yeah. a, it's when in doubt, <laughs> just don't show fear, Isaac. Don't show never, fear. never. But cry every now and then. Now, Corey, what stocks you're drilling down on today? I want to start with Tilray, a company we haven't talked about before. Tilray, yeah, I wasn't familiar with Tilray until this show. Tilray uh, trades under T L R Y. And shares jumped 23% over the past week, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But if you look at a 12-month chart, TLRY, Tilray shares have fallen 69% in a year. So Tilroy is a Canadian-based uh, cannabis company. They also strangely have a, a beverage business, but they do some CBD products. They sell a lot of marijuana uh, and uh, through different brands in different places. And they uh, also, like I said, have some beverages as well. Um, the company, uh, along with all the other cannabis companies that are publicly traded, um, had a fantastic boost after the Biden administration announced that they were going to um, uh, commute the sentences of people who'd been convicted of possession of marijuana. Not possession with intent, but possession of marijuana. There, there weren't a ton of people, but thousands of people, they estimate. But it suggested, and, and also, I should say, importantly and importantly for the cannabis stocks, suggested they would no longer categorize cannabis as a Schedule one, one drug uh, along the likes of things like heroin, which is a Schedule one drug, suggesting that uh, maybe there was going to be a day when the federal government might allow the sale of marijuana. That could be good news for these cannabis companies, what's the, I what's, guess. What's that Lizzo song again? What's it go? About damn time? We should be playing that right now. There are so many Lizzo songs we should be playing right now. <laughs> but do not encourage our listeners to go listen to the Lizzo and other fine things from Spotify. <laughs> Stick with us for a few more minutes here because we got some good information. It's about that Lizzo, time. Even Lizzo yeah. will not convey. 
But what we saw from these companies was a big jump in the stocks with the hope that uh, uh, sales might show up. Unfortunately for Tilroy, they had earnings scheduled for the day after that announcement. And as soon as they announced their earnings or lack thereof, the stock tanked right again, uh, right back to where it had started from. Uh, the company reporting $153 million in sales, uh, much of which was was cannabis, uh, but still losing $66 million. This thing is just burning through cash. Um, I've, I've, I've wondered, I suppose there's probably some work that could be done. How many? Whenever a company talks about how strong its cash position is, it means you're worried about what the cash position is. So this company does uh, boast that they have uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. Nonetheless, they're blowing through some of that uh, with every single quarter with both their cannabis business, their distribution business, and their beverage alcohol business, and what they call their wellness business. I would argue all those things are, are wellness. Yeah, they are in my world. In moderation. Of all course. All things in moderation. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, these guys losing uh, a lot of money. But uh, what they're really hoping for is that this, you know, this legalization in the U.S. will open up new markets, and that's the whole bet here. Um, some people betting, making that bet, uh, as I said, after the White House news came out, even though the results uh, are, are uh, far off in the future. That legalization remains elusive. I think we're very much aligned um, on that. And the Biden administration's um, announcement yesterday was symbolic. No 280 relief, no capital markets access. And while that might be disappointing to anyone who's involved in the U.S. cannabis industry, certainly retail investors and some other industry watchers have read this announcement, it actually could be good news. And this stuff's on the ballot too, Isaac, uh, in four weeks or so. People are going to go out and vote. Some people are getting mail-in ballots right now, certainly here in the city of San Francisco. Mail-in ballots uh, hit the mailbox this week. Um, and yet, um, uh, in many, I think five different states now are, are have a legalization measures on the ballots uh, for this fall. So marijuana getting more and more legal in the United States. Corey, what's your next drill down? Applied micro devices or AMD. AMD and shares have dropped 43% over the past 12 months, currently trading around 60 bucks a share. AMD shares are quite a ways off from their 52-week high of 164. This company has done fantastically over the last 10 years. When uh, At one point, it was pretty much given up for dead as a, as a pale imitator to Intel. And now just doing fantastic, uh, reporting $5.6 billion dollars uh, in the quarter and a 29% increase. Yeah, the stock's down because semiconductor stocks, maybe more than anything, are priced for the future. And the future, um, are these guys suggesting that uh, uh, although business is up, it's not growing as fast as they might have thought it would be, specifically the PC business. So these guys sell um, big chips, uh, processor chips, the most expensive component of a personal computer. They sell them into computers, they sell them into data centers, and they sell them into, into game devices. And uh, the PC business for them is down and it's uh, is in getting worse, at least after they expect for the third quarter. And so really this sort of future discounting um, uh, that, a, that a price of a semiconductor stock often reflects uh, is very much the case uh, with AMD. And that's uh, the reason for the long-term sell-off in the stock. CEO Lisa Su, uh, one of the most uh, uh, unheralded, I would argue, great CEOs in technology and all of business, um, what she talked about in the conference call was how the PC business is worse and getting worse uh, with every passing week. Here's Lisa Sue. I think the Q3 guidance um, implies that, uh, the, first of all, it'll, the uh, revenue growth is led by the data center. 
as well as um, some increase in our um, semi-customer game console business, uh, which historically peaks um, in the third quarter. Um, we have um, taken a, a more conservative outlook um, on the PC business. So um, a quarter ago, you know, we would have thought that the PC business would be down, um, let's call it high single digits. And um, our current view of the PC business is that it will be down, um, let's call it mid-teens. And uh, that's contemplated into um, our third quarter guidance. And then as we go into the fourth quarter, um, what we see is, again, the uh, sequential growth there uh, will be led by the data center um, as well as our embedded business. Um, with the um, you know the same you know view of the uh, the PC business, but what we also have there is a set of new product ramps that we're very excited about. Uh, so we have a number of five nanometer products uh, that will be ramping um, in the fourth quarter, including our um, you know client products as well as um, our uh, server you know our Genoa uh, products um, as well as our graphics um, you know products. So um, that's sort of the view of uh, Q3 and Q4 from a revenue standpoint. So a lot of people bought PCs, Isaac, during the pandemic for to beef up their home offices. And that business uh, has obviously slowed down, but it didn't um, uh, result because people have not gone back to work as much. The PC sales uh, for the office have slowed down. This also reflects the way we compute now, right? We use our phones. We use things, you know, we're, we're, we work, you and I work off of uh, Google Sheets, not Microsoft so much. We're on the cloud and on the cloud and on the cloud. And that's where the data center business is growing so much even while the PC business is slowing. And I feel like they probably, it's just saturated, right? Well, but, you know, there's always an upgrade. And always get better and faster. Corey, what's your next drill down? Look at Levi's, the artist formerly known as Levi Strauss. Aha, Levi's trades under L-E-V-I, Levi, and shares have dropped 44% in the year currently trading around 14 bucks a share, almost less than half of their 52-week high. So the company reported a quarter, uh, about $1.5 billion in uh, revenues, profits of $173 million. Uh, but uh, interesting, you know, we're going through some big changes in the way people dress, right? No more pajamas, no yeah. more slippers. We're going to talk about that later in the show. I bought <laughs> slippers during the pandemic. Not to, not to, like not actual to tease slippers? too much of the interview we've got coming up with a designer shoot, but I bought okay. slippers for the first time in my life. Okay, we can unpack you strike that later. You me as a slippers guy. I, what does that even mean? A slippers guy? I think you're walking <laughs> around house in slippers all the time. Okay. No? <laughs> no. I don't. Slides? I have slides, sure. Yeah. Combat boots? Of course. Oh, yeah. Big metal spikes. Well, Anyway, back trend, to Levi's. The trend towards <laughs> casualization, uh, which, is, which is, you know, people wearing... Athletic wear, people wearing jeans, people wearing denim, uh, people not having to wear suits and ties to go to the office. Right. Um, I don't know who people still wear ties. It happens. It does in certain sectors, I think. Yeah, well, there we go. Um, did, uh, I digress again. Yeah. Did I ever tell you when they wanted me to wear a tie when we worked at Bloomberg? Oh, here we go. Know what happened? They insisted that when we were launching Bloomberg West, this, this uh, technology television show from San Francisco, that I needed to wear a tie, that if I was going to be an anchor man, I had to wear a tie. Uh-huh, and? And I did. did. I, oh, and I had to shave my beard. I got rid of the goatee, got the tie. What they discovered is I have a terrible weak chin. <laughs> I and actually looked ridiculous. I actually remember this moment at Bloomer Television. And I, and I, I remember the I debate to internally, the bosses, too. I said to my, my now great friend, Andy Lack, uh, who was our boss, I said, look, when you wear a tie in San Francisco, you lose credibility. 
The only people who wear ties in San Francisco are people visiting from New York or people going to court. And you really don't want to be involved with either. <laughs> All right. So back to Levi's. Well, uh, the casualization trend was good for Levi's during the pandemic. The uh, Do you remember long ago we did a show uh, where Levi's told us that something like 40% of America had changed their waistline? Yes. For better or for worse? Yes, I do remember that. was about that. a year ago when you did that. So um, <laughs> now they're telling us that trend is no longer their friend, but denim's still big. Here's CEO Chip Berg. You know, the casualization trend, we talked about this for quite some time. Um, it's no longer just a U.S. trend. It is a global trend. Um, it is real. Um, you know, our business skews to men. Men are going back into the office wearing jeans. Um, and, and we expect that, you know, uh, it's going to recover. You know, I've said many, many times before, we're the market leader, and I believe it's incumbent upon market leaders to drive category growth. And we're going to, you know, continue to focus on doing that on the things that are within our control, driving innovation. We're going to continue to focus on innovation and continuing to support the business with strong marketing and marketing support. And the combination of those things, you know, should, should drive growth. Um, let's not forget, too, that, you know, weather probably played a factor during this period of time uh, as well. And as the season changes, that's generally pretty favorable. So uh, the last thing I would add is Harmeet referred to it in the script, but we, we, we did kind of put out there the September U.S. direct-to-consumer sales, which were up double digits. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to see the category get back to double-digit levels of growth that we've seen over the last 12 months. But I, I do expect that the long-term trend for denim is going to be kind of mid-single-digit levels of growth over the long term. And, you know, the, the shorter the time frame you look at, the more um, volatility there is in the data. And I suspect over time we're going to see denim bounce back to kind of that mid-single-digit level, uh, you know, over the next few months. So single-digit denim growth? Yeah, but people going back to the office in jeans. Not me. No, of course not you. No, you, you no, no definitely do. But you're tieless. You'll remain tieless. I will remain tieless, untied. And I'm wearing shoes, Isaac, which is good for designer brands. CEO Roger Rollins joined us for a really interesting conversation about how they changed their business during the pandemic, how they reduced the number of items that they sell, and, uh, uh, and indeed the shoe business changing quite a bit. CEO Roger Rollins joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. Hi, welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We are joined, as promised, by the CEO of Designer Brands, Roger Rollins, joins us. Uh, Roger, glad to have you on. Your your business is so interesting, but I find it hard to describe in brief. How would you do so? Uh, well, first of all, Corey, thanks for having me. And yeah. uh, I, I like to describe our business as uh, one of North America's largest designers, producers, and retailers of footwear. And, you know, that's what we do day in and day out. But the mission that we are uh, pursuing is to inspire self-expression. And 
There's nothing better than footwear to be able to allow you to be whomever you want to be uh, on that given day based on how you're feeling. And uh, today, knowing I was getting to talk to you, I, I wore some New Balance um, and, and dressed from my footwear up. And uh, But at the end of the day, it's, it's all about footwear and how we can go uh, build brands to meet our customers' needs and do it at a pace that which we think uh, others cannot compete with. Um, and, and interestingly, both from the manufacturing side and from the, uh, the retail side. That's correct. That's correct. We, uh, we own brands, uh, Vince Camuto, Lucky, Jessica Simpson, uh, are brands we own and control. We take those direct to consumer through our own retail channels, um, such as DSW and Shoe Company. But then we also sell those brands to Macy's, Nordstrom, Dillard's, Amazon, other channels. But then we also operate, as I said, DSW and Shuco, which are you know roughly three billion dollar retail um, distribution points. So uh, it's a it's a really really broad footwear based organization that we that we operate. So let's take it apart a couple ways. I'll, I'll save the retail discussion for a minute because there's some peculiar things in all these businesses. But the licensing business is so interesting to me because, as you mentioned, you own these brands, Jessica Simpson. Uh, that's done quite well. Uh, the JLo brand, I don't know how that's done, but but uh, um, we're all big fans of Jennifer Lopez. Why, why couldn't? Why wouldn't you be? But um, what? How how does that business work? How do you know what's going to work? How do you start to build a strategy around a brand like that? You know, the um, the first thing we do is it starts with the customer and really understanding your consumer and. What we're lucky to have is roughly 30 million consumers that sit within our framework as designer brands um, across North America. So being able to engage with that consumer, understand what their needs are, um, looking at the trends and then uh, building product. And I I always describe uh, us building product. It's like having a child and it takes us about nine months from the minute someone drafts that shoe on a piece of paper to when it actually shows up in the physical plant or on our website. And along that journey, doing everything you can to stay engaged with the customer, to know know, what colors they're looking for, uh, what heel heights are gonna be relevant. Are you you polling them? Are you querying them? Are you doing focus groups? Are you just walking around the streets and looking at people's feet? I mean, what's what's the actual process? What's the science behind it? it, To be honest, it is really all of the things you just described. And uh, uh, I never thought, after 17 years of being in this industry that I would sit in airports and stare at people's feet. But that is that is what you do to try and just understand trends. And, you know, we're out in the market all the time. So it's a combination of of testing. Um, we have we've been lucky enough through our acquisition of Camuto back in 2018 to uh, take on an organization down in Brazil, which gives us a speed at which is different than than we've ever had. So, you know, we can make up a small lot of product, uh, get that product into our stores on our website, be able to test it against our, our core customers through DSW, read that, and then immediately take it to mass production uh, in a much, much bigger way. So uh, it, it's a combination of all of those things that our merchant and design teams are out there doing every single day. How big is a design team? How, how And are all those people based where you are in Columbus, yeah, Ohio, have, or are they all over? No, we have folks all over. And and obviously with COVID, that sort of changed the dynamics of uh, where you work from. But uh, the vast majority of our design team is stationed in, in New York City. Uh, we have a couple offices there in Manhattan with a design studio, um, roughly a couple hundred folks that work in, in Manhattan. 
But then we also have a group of merchants of roughly another couple hundred that sit throughout the Midwest and Canada that take all of that design and, and input and then make decisions on how big the product could be, how much depth, the sizing, the colors, uh, those kind of things that ultimately we end up presenting to a consumer. How many products do you launch a year? And how many do you oh retire a year? Ballpark. Um, uh, I would say it's probably each, I have to do it by brand, Corey, is what I would say, yeah. that each brand is introducing roughly about 400 uh, items per brand, roughly. Wow. And it's about 200 in spring, 200 in fall. And each brand varies a little bit because in a brand like Vince that covers a broader spectrum um, is a little different than Jessica, which will be a little bit narrower in the dress category um, versus a brand like Kelly and Katie, which I'm really proud of the fact we now have is the sixth largest uh, fashion retail brand in, in footwear. Uh, you know, we, we might have upwards of five or 600 uh, items within that brand in a given year because we cover everything from a sneaker all the way up to a dress shoe with Kelly and Katie. Uh, super interesting. Um, so as you launch these products, how did COVID, you talk about how COVID dispersed your workforce, and I think all of us kind of get that generally, but how did it change uh, uh, what you were launching? Heck, how, people probably weren't wearing shoes. They weren't chewing breath mints, and they weren't wearing shoes a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, I uh, I will tell you that was, it was challenging times because the only thing that we could get people to buy was something they could walk from their front door to their mailbox in. And uh, there was a lot of slippers we sold. And essentially say, our I bought, core. I, I bought my first pair of slippers in my life during COVID. <laughs> and that uh, slippers went through the roof, but we could not, uh, at some point, we could not give away a dress, a dress shoe or a dress boot. And, you know, it, it was tough. I mean, we, we lost $400 million in 2020. And this is an organization that has historically made a couple hundred million dollars a year. And, uh, our organization, I'm so proud of how we responded. One, we overcame that, but we really did change the trajectory of our company by, by thinking differently about our assortment. We went narrower. Um, the top 50 brands now represent about 80% of our assortment. It was roughly 35% before the pandemic. Uh, so we're investing in the, what we think are the most relevant brands. We have uh, skewed our assortment to be more athletic at leisure in nature. Um, that, that's been a home run for us. And we've gotten after kids in a bigger way. So it really did allow us the opportunity to make some changes that, that we knew we needed to make over time, but we had to accelerate because when you're faced with that kind of a challenge, you, know, you, you have to respond immediately. This isn't a three-year plan. This is a three-day plan. And that, that is, I'm so, so proud of our organization and, and the shifts that we made during a pandemic and coming out you know, on a rolling 12 months basis, we've had the best performance in the history of our company. And that's really happened uh, because we responded when we had to. Are there permanent changes, uh, permanent changes in the way in what people wear? I'm thinking of, here's brings this question. First of all, of course, you, the athleisure long-term trend uh, from, from head to toe for people. Um, but I was thinking yeah. that, so I, I am at the moment wearing some Allen Edmonds. Uh, sorry, not a shoe that you guys make. Um, but uh, there's an interesting um, dynamic in these in the city centers that are still kind of dead, whether it's San Francisco, which is which is really behind, and even cities like Houston, where you still got 30% of the population not going to work. There's nowhere to get your shoes shined anymore because those places went out of business. 
And I wonder, and I, you know, so that's a personal problem I've got, but I do wonder if it represents a lot, a bigger change in what people wear coming out of COVID that might not come back. I think what, what we have found is there has been a shift to comfort is what I would say. And making certain, I mean, as we, we sat at home for two years and, uh, uh, you got used to being comfortable, comfortable, whether it was your attire or your footwear. And so what we have found is uh, customers are coming back and they're buying dress shoes because there's social occasions that they're going to that they didn't get to do for a couple of years. But that dress shoe had better have comfort features to it. And I think that is probably the biggest shift that we have seen is, you know, you could get away with with selling a, a high heel that dress shoe that you know, someone knew they were only going to wear it a couple of times and, and it was amazing. But but now the customer, even when they put that shoe on, there are comfort features you need to bring to your product. And I think that's something that we have uh, we've embraced. And especially with the Vince Camuto brand, Jessica Simpson, which are very much dress categories, we've had to, to shift some things to ensure more comfort features in everything we do. OK, so how has retail changed then in your DSW stores and what, what how do those stores look different today than they did four years ago? You know, for us, it is it's a combination, I would say, of both the digital experience and the and the physical plan. And, you know, when COVID hit, the, the first thing we did was we shut down our 700 points of distribution called DSW and shoe company stores. But those stores did not shut down behind the scenes because we were still running a, a billion dollar digital platform and those stores became solely distribution centers. I mean, they were fulfilling all of that online demand. And, and it, frankly, that saved our fannies because we were able to, to liquidate product um, that, were, that would have just sat in stores conventionally. And you know, that kind of a shift, I think we were set up to, to really take advantage of that. But I think that's one element. The other, the other piece of it is, you know, 90% of everything we sell to a consumer starts the journey in a digital way. So they might start searching on their phone, they might start searching on their laptop or their iPad, but, you know, 70% of the time they still walk in the store and buy it, but they are now trained and educated on how they go look digitally first. And so that's the lens we've had to apply. We, we really have gotten even out of the business of talking about a store sale versus a digital sale because it's all, it's just about the customer. And as we talk about our, I mention all the time, our CBS strategy, customer brand speed. Like if you're using that lens for the consumer, think about the brand experiences you're going to build that are going to be different because you're looking at through that lens. And that's where speed really helps us. And, and so it's the combination of all three of those things, I think, that were impacted by the pandemic and I think have changed retail forever. So you guys have guided towards single digit uh, cop store sales growth. And I wonder what you see. I don't want to ask a macroeconomic question, but I want to, I wonder what business is like for you right now. You know, we have, uh, we have been, uh, I want to say blessed to be able to manage through this. Um, the, some of the economic challenges, I think the consumer is facing, uh, one, because of who our core customer is. Our, our core consumer has a household income of over a hundred thousand dollars. Um, they, they have, uh, They've not felt the same kind of pain, perhaps, that, that other consumers have. Um, they, they, I think, are flush with cash uh, you know, coming Still. out of the last couple of years. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I think when you look at the retail, uh, all the retail metrics out there, specifically in footwear, I think you'll see that we have outperformed uh, just about everyone in our sector. 
And I think a big chunk of it is because of who our customer is, but also because of the things we did to implement, uh, you know, growing our owned brands and running a brand like Vince, Lucky Jessica Crown, Mix, Kelly and Katie that runs 70 to 75% gross margins versus historically, we would have been selling someone else's product at 45% gross margins. So the shift we made back in 18 to get into the vertical retail space, um, frankly, it, it, it has saved us as, and, and is allowing us to prosper and helping us build our own brands as we move forward. And, and just to give you an example, we recently acquired a, a brand called La Tigre, which, you know, I'm, I'm a product of the eighties and, you know, that was the, the brand it. to have, right. Yes, and, it was. Uh, and so we're, we're getting after sneakers with that space and it's leveraging this platform we've built to build that. Uh, we just partnered with Reebok and uh, we're going to build special lines of Reebok product that'll be available exclusively within our also channels. Also big in the eighties. As yes, I recall. Exactly. Um, and, and so it's, it's thinking differently about, about hush puppies as an example, we've partnered with Wolverine that we are now the exclusive distribution point for the hush puppy brand. And it's leveraging this platform we've built because we know the customer, we can bring brands to life faster than anyone else out there. I found myself, uh, in a shopping mall in new London, Connecticut last weekend, and it was unbelievably depressing how many businesses <laughs> were just shuttered. I mean, yeah. it was, you know, it, it, it was, it was just amazing to see sort of two out of three of the stores were just, you know, they would have curtains up in front of them. They just, there was no retailer happening there and it didn't look like anything was coming back. And I wonder how that's affected your, your uh, growth in the, in the physical spaces of retail. You know, we, uh, we are off mall and, you know, we have not seen that same kind of challenge. If anything, we've probably attracted consumers that might've historically gone to the mall um, so we, we feel as though our core consumer who has come back in a meaningful way uh, post-pandemic to the physical plant, um, you know, we, we've actually reaped some benefits. If you look at our traffic, I, I don't want to give you a bad number off the top of my head, but our traffic into the physical plant has actually been up. Uh, so, you know, that, that's a very, very positive thing for us. Again, consumers are out there having social occasions, uh, like weddings that they had not had in a couple of years in person. And uh, as a, a brand that offers product that you can wear, whether you're the bridesmaid or the bride, um, whether it's casual or it's dress, uh, we, we've really reaped some benefits from that. Well, what an interesting story. Uh, Designer Brand CEO Roger Rollins, thank you for your time. We really do appreciate it. Uh, thanks, Corey. All right, well, coming up next, the bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot about designer brands. You're going to want to hang on for this one when we come right back. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. With ERA, give yourself an information advantage. Connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A.com. And listen to the Drill Down podcast on your smart speaker. Just ask your smart speaker to play the Drill Down podcast. And you'll pick up where you left off the last show. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at Drill Down Pod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. We're back with the Drill Down Podcast and the Drill Down Bite, that one number that tells us a whole lot. Isaac, uh, we heard about how um, designer brands sells, yes, in their own stores, uh, but also to lots of other places. So of their of uh, uh, all of the places in their direct-to-consumer business, it's interesting. So they sell a lot of shoes in a Nordstrom Rack. About 1.5% of the revenues comes from uh, Nordstrom Rack. 
But do you know what percentage of their shoes are sold on Amazon? Ah. Again, so by context, yeah. one and a half percent Nordstrom Rack. Nordstrom and Nordstrom Rack. I want to go with 50%. It is not. It is 6%. Okay. Still a lot. Yeah, right? a lot. I mean, three to, uh, three times what they're selling uh, to Nordstrom's, which, of course, is a huge shoe re- retailer. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize how big Nordstrom was for shoes. But, I mean, I just know that, like, um, I tend to go to Amazon to buy my shoes now. I have for a couple oh. of years now. What's the last pair of shoes you bought? Hoka Slides. See? Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating, Isaac. Absolutely it's, fascinating. It's really fascinating. Yes, that was yeah. dead silence you heard on the Drill Down Podcast. <laughs> We're glad you joined us today. Isaac Webster is our uh, executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. I'm Corey Johnson. The Drill Down is a production of the Business Podcast Network. 